0: Chapter 6 of the Double, a Petersburg poem by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 At eight o'clock next morning, Mr. Golyadkin woke up in his bed. At once all the extraordinary incidents of the previous day and the wild, incredible night with all its almost impossible adventures presented themselves to his imagination and memory with terrifying vividness such intense diabolical malice on the part of his enemies and above all the final proof of that malice froze mr golyadkin's heart but at the same time it was all so strange incomprehensible wild it seemed so impossible that it was really hard to credit the whole business mr golyadkin was indeed ready to admit himself that it was all an incredible delusion a passing aberration of the fancy a darkening of the mind if he had not fortunately known by bitter experience to what length spite will sometimes carry any one what a pitch of ferocity an enemy may reach when he is bent on revenging his honor and prestige besides mr golyatkin's exhausted limbs his heavy head his aching back and the malignant cold in his head bore vivid witness to the probability of his expedition Of the previous night and upheld the reality of it and to some extent of all that had happened during that expedition and indeed Mr. Goliadkin had known long long before that something was being got up among them that there was someone else with them but after all thinking it over thoroughly he made up his mind to keep quiet to submit and not to protest for the time they are simply plotting to frighten me perhaps and when they see that I don't mind that I make no protest, but keep perfectly quiet and put up with it meekly. They'll give it up. They'll give it up of themselves, give it up of their own accord. Such, then, were the thoughts in the mind of Mr. Wolyadkin, as, stretching in his bed, trying to rest his exhausted limbs, he waited for Petrushka to come into his room as usual. He waited for a full quarter of an hour. He heard the lazy scamp fiddling about with the samover behind the screen, and yet he could not bring himself to call him. "'We may say more. Mr. Goliadkin was a little afraid of confronting Petrushka. "'Why, goodness knows,' he thought, "'goodness knows how that rascal looks at it all. "'He keeps on saying nothing, but he has his own ideas.' "'At last the door creaked, and Petrushka came in with a tray in his hands. "'Mr. Goliadkin stole a timid glance at him, "'impatiently waiting to see what would happen, "'waiting to see whether he would not say something about a certain circumstance. "'But Petrushka said nothing.' he was on the contrary more silent more glum and ill-humoured than usual he looked askance from under his brows at everything altogether it was evident that he was very much put out about something he did not even glance once at his master which by the way rather piqued the latter setting all that he had brought on the table he turned and went out of the room without a word he knows, he knows all about it, the scoundrel, Mr. golyadkin grumbled to himself as he took his tea. Yet our hero did not address a single question to his servant, though Petrushka came into his room several times afterward on various errands. Mr. golyadkin was in great trepidation of spirit. He dreaded going to the office. He had a strong presentiment that there he would find something that would not be just so. You may be sure, he thought, that as soon as you go, you will light upon something. Isn't it better to endure in patience? Isn't it better to wait a bit now? Let them do what they like there. But I'd better stay here a bit today, recover my strength, get better, and think over the whole thing more thoroughly. Then afterward I could seize the right moment, fall upon them like snow from the sky, and get off scot-free myself." reasoning like this mr golyadkin smoked pipe after pipe time was flying it was already nearly half-past nine why it's half-past nine already thought mr golyadkin it's late for me to make my appearance besides i'm ill of course i'm ill i'm certainly ill who denies it what's the matter with me if they send to make inquiries let the executive clerk come and indeed what is the matter with me really my back aches i have a cough and a cold in my head and in fact it's out of the question for me to go out utterly out of the question in such weather i might be taken ill and very likely die nowadays especially the death rate is so high with such reasoning mr golyadkin succeeded at last in setting his conscience at rest and defended himself against the reprimands he expected from andrey falopovich for neglect of his duty As a rule in such cases, our hero was particularly fond of justifying himself in his own eyes, with all sorts of irrefutable arguments, and so completely setting his conscience at rest. And so now, having completely soothed his conscience, he took up his pipe, filled it, and had no sooner settled down comfortably to smoke, when he jumped up quickly from the sofa, flung away the pipe, briskly washed, shaved, and brushed his hair, got into his uniform, and so on, snatched up some papers and flew off to the office mr golyadkin went into his department timidly in quivering expectation of something unpleasant an expectation which was none the less disagreeable for being vague and unconscious he sat down timidly in his invariable place next to the head clerk anton antonovitch Syetochkin. Without looking at anything or allowing his attention to be distracted, he plunged into the contents of the papers that lay before him. He made up his mind and vowed to himself to avoid, as far as possible, anything provocative, anything that might compromise him, such as indiscreet questions, jests, or unseemly allusions to any incidents of the previous evening. He made up his mind also to abstain from the usual interchange of civilities with his colleagues, such as inquiries after health and such like but evidently it was impossible out of the question to keep to this anxiety and uneasiness in regard to anything near him that was annoying always worried him far more than the annoyance itself and that was why in spite of all his inward vows to refrain from entering into anything whatever happened and to keep aloof from everything mr goliadkin from time to time on the sly very very quietly raised his head and stealthily looked about him to right and to left peeped at the countenance of his colleagues and tried to gather whether there were not something new and peculiar in them referring to himself and with sinister motives concealed from him he assumed that there must be a connection between all that had happened yesterday and all that surrounded him now at last in his misery he began to long for something goodness knows what to happen to put an end to it even some calamity. He did not care. At this point, destiny caught Mr. golyadkin He had hardly felt this desire when his doubts were solved in the strangest and most unexpected manner. The door leading from the next room suddenly gave a soft and timid creak, as though to indicate that the person about to enter was a very unimportant one, and a figure very familiar to Mr. golyadkin stood shyly before the very table at which our hero was seated the latter did not raise his head no he only stole a glance at him the tiniest glance but he knew all he understood all to every detail he grew hot with shame and buried his devoted head in the papers with precisely the same object with which the ostrich pursued by hunters hides his head in the burning sand the new arrival bowed to andrei filopovitch and thereupon he heard a voice speaking in the regulation tone of condescending politeness with which all persons in authority address their subordinates in public offices. Take a seat here, said andrei Philipovitch, motioning the newcomer to Anton Antonovitch's table. Here, opposite Mr. Goyadkin, and we'll soon give you something to do. andrei Philipovitch ended by making a rapid gesture that decorously admonished the newcomer of his duty, and then he immediately became engrossed in the study of the papers that lay in a heap before him mr golyadkin lifted his eyes at last and that he did not fall into a swoon was simply because he had foreseen it all from the first that he had been forewarned from the first guessing in his soul who the stranger was mr golyadkin's first movement was to look quickly about him to see whether there were any whispering any office joke being cracked on the subject whether any one's face was agape with wonder whether indeed someone had not fallen under the table from terror but to his intense astonishment, there was no sign of anything of the sort. The behaviour of his colleagues and companions surprised him. It seemed contrary to the dictates of common sense. Mr. Golyadkin was positively scared at this extraordinary reticence. The fact spoke for itself. It was a strange, horrible, uncanny thing. It was enough to rouse anyone. All this, of course, only passed rapidly through Mr. Golyadkin's mind he felt as though he were burning in a slow fire and indeed there was enough to make him the figure that was sitting opposite mr golyadkin now was his terror was his shame was his nightmare of the evening before in short was mr golyadkin himself not the mr golyadkin who was sitting now in his chair with his mouth wide open and his pen petrified in his hand not the one who acted as assistant to the chief not the one who liked to efface himself and slink away in the crowd not the one whose deportment plainly said don't touch me and i won't touch you or don't interfere with me and you see i'm not touching you no this was another mr goyatkin quite different yet at the same time exactly like the first the same height the same figure the same clothes the same boldness in fact nothing absolutely nothing was lacking to complete the likeness so that if one were to set them side by side Nobody, absolutely nobody, could have undertaken to distinguish which was the real Golyadkin, and which was the counterfeit, which was the old one and which was the new one, which was the original and which was the copy. Our hero was, if the comparison can be made, in the position of a man upon whom some practical joker has stealthily, by way of jest, turned a burning glass. "'What does it mean? Is it a dream?' he wondered. "'Is it reality or the continuation of what happened yesterday?' and besides, by what right is this all being done? Who sanctioned such a clerk? Who authorized this? Am I asleep? Am I in a waking dream? Mr. Goliadkin tried pinching himself, even tried to screw up his courage to pinch someone else. No, it was not a dream, and that was all about it. Mr. Goliadkin felt that the sweat was trickling down him in big drops. He felt that what was happening to him was something incredible, unheard of and for that very reason was to complete his misery utterly unseemly for mr golyadkin realized and felt how disadvantageous it was to be the first example of such a burlesque adventure he began even to doubt his own existence and though he was prepared for anything and had been longing for his doubts to be settled in any way whatever yet the actual reality was startling in its unexpectedness his misery was poignant and overwhelming At times he lost all power of thought and memory. Coming to himself after such a moment, he noticed that he was mechanically and unconsciously moving the pen over the paper. Mistrustful of himself, he began going over what he had written, and could make nothing of it. At last the other Mr. Goliadkin, who had been sitting discreetly and decorously at the table, got up and disappeared through the door into the other room. Mr. Goliadkin looked round. Everything was quiet. He heard nothing but the scratching of pens the rustle of turning over pages, and conversation in the corners furthest from Andrey Fulopovich's seat. Mr. Goliadkin looked at Anton Antonovitch, and as, in all probability, our hero's countenance fully reflected his real condition and harmonized with the whole position, and was consequently, from one point of view, very remarkable. Good-natured Anton Antonovich, laying aside his pen, inquired after his health with marked sympathy. I'm very well, thank God, Anton Antonovitch, said Mr. golyadkin stammering. I am perfectly well, Anton Antonovitch. I am all right now, Anton Antonovitch, he added, uncertainly, not yet fully trusting Anton Antonovitch, whose name he had mentioned so often. I fancied you were not quite well, though that's not to be wondered at, no, indeed. Nowadays especially there's such a lot of illness going about. Do you know yes anton antonovitch i know there is such a lot of illness i did not mean that anton antonovitch mr golyadkin went on looking intently at anton antonovitch you see anton antonovitch i don't even know how you that is i mean to say how to approach this matter anton antonovitch how so i really do you know i must confess i don't quite understand you must you must explain you know ''In what way you are in difficulties?'' said Anton Antonovich, beginning to be in difficulties himself, seeing that there were actually tears in Mr. golyadkin's eyes. ''Really, Anton Antonovich, I... here... there's... there's a clerk here, Anton Antonovitch. ''Well, I don't understand now.'' ''I mean to say, Anton Antonovich, there's a new clerk here.'' ''Yes, there is a namesake of yours.'' ''What?'' cried Mr. golyadkin i say a namesake of yours his name's golyadkin too isn't he a brother of yours no anton antonovitch i hmm, you don't say so why i thought he must be a relation of yours do you know there's sort of a family likeness mr golyadkin was petrified with astonishment and for the moment he could not speak to treat so lightly such a horrible unheard-of thing a thing undeniably rare and curious in its way A thing which would have amazed even an unconcerned spectator. To talk of a family resemblance when he could see himself as in a looking-glass? Do you know, Yakov Petrovich, what I advise you to do, Anton Antonovich went on. Go and consult a doctor. Do you know? You look somehow quite unwell. Your eyes look peculiar. You know there's a peculiar expression in them. No, Anton Antonovich, I feel, of course, that is, I keep wanting to ask about this clerk. Well, that is, have you not noticed Anton Antonovich something peculiar about him? Something very marked? That is? That is, I mean Anton Antonovich a striking likeness with somebody, for instance, with me, for instance. You spoke just now, you see, Anton Antonovich, of a family likeness. You let slip the remark. You know there are really sometimes twins exactly alike. Like two drops of water, so that they can't be told apart. Well, it's that that I mean. To be sure, said Anton Antonovitch after a moment's thought, speaking as though he were struck by the fact for the first time. Yes, indeed, you are right. There is a striking likeness, and you are quite right in what you say. You really might be mistaken for one another, he went on, opening his eyes wider and wider. And do you know, Yakov Petrovitch, it's a positively marvellous likeness fantastic in fact as the saying is that is just as you have you observed yakov Petrovitch. i wanted to ask you to explain it yes i confess i didn't take particular notice at first it's wonderful it's really wonderful and you know you are not a native of these parts are you yakov Petrovitch? no he is not from these parts you know either perhaps he comes from the same part of the country as you do where may i make bold to inquire did your mother live for the most part you say you say anton antonovitch that he is not a native of these parts no he is not and indeed how strange it is continued the talkative anton antonovitch for whom it was a genuine treat to gossip it may well arouse curiosity and yet you know you might often pass him by brush against him without noticing anything but you mustn't be upset about it it's a thing that does happen do you know the same thing i must tell you happened to my aunt on my mother's side she saw her own double before her death no i excuse my interrupting you anton antonovitch i wanted to find out anton antonovitch how that clerk that is on what footing is he here In place of Semyon Ivanovitch to fill the vacancy left by his death. The post was vacant, so he was appointed. Do you know, I'm told, poor dear Semyon Ivanovich left three children, all tiny dots. The widow fell at the feet of His Excellency. They do say she's hiding something. She's got a bit of money, but she's hiding it. No, Anton Antonovich, I was still referring to that circumstance. You mean to be sure but why are you so interested in that i tell you not to upset yourself all this is temporary to some extent why after all you know you have nothing to do with it so it has been ordained by god almighty it's his will and it is sinful repining his wisdom is apparent in it and as far as i can make out yakov petrovitch you are not to blame in any way there are all sorts of strange things in the world mother nature is liberal with her gifts and you are not called upon to answer for it you won't be responsible here for instance you have heard i expect of those what's their name oh the siamese twins who are joined together at the back live and eat and sleep together i'm told they get a lot of money allow me anton antonovitch i understand i understand yes but what of it it's no matter i tell you as far as i can see there's nothing for you to upset yourself about After all, he's a clerk. As a clerk, he seems to be a capable man. He says his name is Golyadkin, that he's not a native of this district, and that he's a titular councillor. He had a personal interview with his excellency. And how did his excellency? It was all right. I am told he gave a satisfactory account of himself, gave his reasons, said, it is like this, your excellency and that he was without means and anxious to enter the service and would be particularly flattered to be serving under his excellency all that was proper you know he expressed himself neatly he must be a sensible man but of course he came with a recommendation he couldn't have got in without that oh from whom that is i mean who is it has had a hand in this shameful business Yes, a good recommendation, I'm told, His Excellency, I'm told, laughed with Andrey Fulopovich. Laughed with Andrey Fulopovich? Yes, he only just smiled and said that it was all right, that he had nothing against it so long as he did his duty. Well, and what more? You relieve me to some extent, Anton Antonovich. Go on, I entreat you. Excuse me, I must tell you again. Well then, come, it's nothing. It's a very simple matter. You mustn't upset yourself, I tell you, and there's nothing suspicious about it. No, I... That is... Anton Antonovich, I want to ask you, didn't His Excellency say anything more? About me, for instance? Well, to be sure. No, nothing of the sort. You can set your mind quite at rest. You know it is, of course, a rather striking circumstance, and at first... Why, here, I, for instance, I scarcely noticed it. I really don't know why I didn't notice it until you mentioned it. But you can set your mind at rest entirely. He said nothing particular. Absolutely nothing, added good-natured Anton Antonovich, getting up from his chair. So then, Anton Antonovich, I— Oh, you must excuse me. Here I've been gossiping about these trivial matters, and I've business that is important and urgent. I must inquire about it. Anton Antonovich, Andrei Philopovich's voice sounded, summoning him politely. His Excellency has been asking for you. This minute, I'm coming this minute, Andrei Philopovich, and Anton Antonovich, taking a pile of papers, flew off first to Andrei Philopovich, and then into his Excellency's room. Then what is the meaning of it, thought Mr. golyadkin Is there some sort of a game going on? So the winds in that quarter now. That's just as well. So things have taken a much pleasanter turn, our hero said to himself, rubbing his hands and so delighted that he scarcely knew where he was. So our position is an ordinary thing. So it turns out to be all nonsense. It comes to nothing at all. No one has done anything really, and they are not budging the rascals. They are sitting busy over their work. That's splendid. Splendid. I like the good-natured fellow. I've always liked him, and I'm always ready to respect him though it must be said one doesn't know what to think this anton antonovitch i am afraid to trust him his hair is very grey and he's so old he's getting shaky it's an immense and glorious thing that his excellency said nothing and let it pass it's a good thing i approve only why does andrey falopovich interfere with his grins what's he got to do with it the old rogue always on my track always like a black cat on the watch to run across a man's path always thwarting and annoying a man always annoying and thwarting a man mr golyatkin looked around him again and again his hopes revived yet he felt that he was troubled by one remote idea an unpleasant idea it even occurred to him that he might try somehow to make up to the clerks to be the first in the field even perhaps when leaving the office or going up to them as though about his work to drop a hint in the course of conversation saying this is how it is what a striking likeness gentlemen a strange circumstance a burlesque farce that is treat it all lightly and in this way sound the depth of the danger devils breed in still waters our hero concluded inwardly mr golyadkin however only contemplated this he thought better of it in time he realized that this would be going too far "'That's your temperament,' he said to himself, tapping himself lightly on the forehead. "'As soon as you gain anything, you are delighted. You're a simple soul. No, you and I had better be patient, Yakov Petrovitch. Let us wait and be patient.' Nevertheless, as we have mentioned already, Mr. golyadkin was buoyed up with the most confident hopes, feeling as though he had risen from the dead." no matter he thought it's as though a hundred tons had been lifted off my chest here is a circumstance to be sure the box has been opened by lifting the lid Krylov is right a clever chap a rogue that krylov and a great fable writer and as for him let him work in the office and good luck to him so long as he doesn't meddle or interfere with anyone. let him work in the office i consent and approve Meanwhile, the hours were passing, flying by, and before he noticed the time, it struck four. The office was closed, Andrey Philipovitch took his hat, and all followed his example in due course. Mr. golyadkin dawdled a little on purpose, long enough to be the last to go out when all the others had gone their several ways. Going out from the street he felt as though he were in paradise, so that he even felt inclined to go a longer way round, and to walk along the Nevsky Prospect. To be sure, this is destiny, thought our hero, this unexpected turn in affairs, and the weather's more cheerful, and the frost and the little sledges, and the frost suits the Russian, the Russian gets on capitally with the frost. I like the Russian. And the dear little snow, and the first few flakes in autumn, the sportsman would say, it would be nice to go shooting hares in the first snow. Well, there, it doesn't matter. This was how Mr. Golyadkin's enthusiasm found expression yet something was fretting in his brain not exactly melancholy but at times he had such a gnawing at his heart that he did not know how to find relief let us wait for the day though and then we shall rejoice and after all you know what does it matter come let us think it over let us look at it come let us consider it my young friend let us consider it why a man's exactly like you in the first place absolutely the same well what is there in that if there's such a man why should i weep over it what's it to me i stand aside i whistle to myself and that's all that's what i laid myself open to and that's all about it let him work in the office well it's a strange and marvellous thing they say that the siamese twins but why bring in the siamese twins they are twins of course but even great men you know sometimes look queer creatures in fact we know from history that the famous suvarov used to crow like a cock but there he did all that with political motives and he was a great general but what are generals after all but i keep myself to myself that's all and i don't care about anyone else and secure in my innocence i scorn my enemies i am not one to intrigue and i am proud of it genuine straightforward neat and nice meek and mild All at once Mr. Goliadkin broke off. His tongue failed him, and he began trembling like a leaf. He even closed his eyes for a minute. Hoping, however, that the object of his terror was only an illusion, he opened his eyes and at last stole a timid glance to the right. No, it was not an illusion. His acquaintance of that morning was tripping along by his side, smiling, peeping into his face, and apparently seeking an opportunity to begin a conversation with him the conversation was not begun however they both walked like this for about fifty paces all mr golyadkin's efforts were concentrated on muffling himself up hiding himself in his coat and pulling his hat down as far as possible over his eyes to complete his mortification his companion's coat and hat looked as though they had been taken off mr golyadkin himself sir our hero articulated at last trying to speak almost in a whisper and not looking at his companion we are going different ways i believe i am convinced of it in fact he said after a brief pause i am convinced indeed that you quite understand me he added rather severely in conclusion i could have wished his companion pronounced at last i could have wished no doubt you will be magnanimous and pardon me i don't know to whom to address myself here my circumstances i trust you will pardon my intrusiveness i fancied indeed that moved by compassion you showed some interest in me this morning on my side i felt drawn to you from the first moment i-at this point mr golyadkin inwardly wished that his companion might sink into the earth if i might venture to hope that you would accord me an indulgent hearing yakov Petrovitch, we here we we you had better come home with me answered mr golyadkin we will cross now to the other side of the Nevsky prospect. It will be more convenient for us there, and then by the little back street. We'd better go by the back street. Very well, by all means, let us go by the back street, our hero's meek companion responded timidly, suggesting by the tone of his reply that it was not for him to choose, and that in his position he was quite prepared to accept the back street. As for Mr. golyadkin he was utterly unable to grasp what was happening to him. He could not believe in himself. He could not get over his amazement. End of chapter 6